Everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is my friend Amy Volus. Uh, Amy has sold over $100 million in revenue uh, over her 20 years plus career. And now she runs a business where she helps companies both place enterprise reps and sales leaders. It's called Avenue Talent Partners. I recommend you give her a follow on LinkedIn. Amy, uh, welcome to the program. Hello, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on because you've, I mean, you've helped me in my career as well. We've been friends for, I don't know, a year, two years at this point. Going into the two mark, I feel like, like we're entering into the two zone. I think so. Man, yeah. time definitely seems to fly. Do you mind kicking us off by talking a bit about things that leaders should think about or know about as they go through um, an interview process for their next role? So I think there's so much advice flying around the interwebs and different communities and Slack channels and LinkedIn and all of the things that it's really easy to lose sight of what an interview is for. And then I find that when you take all this advice, you end up getting in your own way and removing opportunities out of the mix instead of being magnetic to the ones that you want to be magnetic to. And so what I try to really help people remember is the, the interview process is truly a two-way street. It's meant for a potential employer to understand what you bring to the table. And it's meant for you to understand how this could be good for your career and your life. And that's really like, if you boil it down to the most simplistic form, that's it. And yet we make it so much more difficult on ourselves. And so one of the things that I really think that sales leaders do is it's like peacocking, like they puff and puff and puff and puff and they don't lean into the process and they skim the surface. And when you skim the surface, you're more likely to not necessarily peel back the layers that you need to peel back to see if it's a healthy organization, to see if you truly have a seat at the table, to see what's really going on, to understand the trajectory, and then you churn out within 19 months, which is the stats for sales leaders in, in tech companies, which is what I deal with. On the flip side, it's almost like I've been there, I've done that, I know it so well, I'm just gonna speak to it and these big statements are made and there's a big inability to quantify or qualify the what did you do, where did you do it, why did you do it, what were the outcomes, what's your take on forecasting, what's your take on planning, what's your take on building a business, maintaining a business, growing a business, whatever it might be that, that you did, specificity is the number one reason why people don't move forward. You mean, are you, do you mean specificity in like an answer to a question in the interview process or? Yeah. So like, if I say, Derek, tell me about your growth for, for the role that you're in right now. Mm -hmm. And you tell me, I grew the company 20x. I'm just going to throw out a big statement because lots of people make big statements over a 24 month period. Okay. That's great. How, why, what, and what people end up doing is they guesstimate and they're not really specific to be very clear about what they actually did. And so especially folks that are really analytical that can do fast math in their head or for somebody like me that can't do fast math in their head, they write it down. 
the numbers oftentimes don't add up. So on a 20X like outcome, what was your goal? Well, my goal was to get to $8 million. Well, where was the business when you first started? Well, the business was at $7 million. <laughs> So you can't, it's, it's that where lots of numbers, lots of jargon, lots of like outbound, inbound MQLs. This is what I was thinking about. This is the CAC. This is the ACV. This is the MRR. This is the AR, but there's no quantification of like, what does that mean? Like what actually happened? What was your role? How did you actually construct that? If you didn't, who was involved? What was your role in that involved? Like, those are the things. So to, to obviously really dig deep into your short clarifying question, yeah, you can't get specific about what you did to answer the question. Yeah, that also seems like it's on interviewers to, to dig into that. I mean, do, do they miss that? So if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, it seems like what you're saying is a very significant chunk of the the short tenure in, in sales leadership, or at least at the at the executive level, that 19 months is due to poor fit. Am I hearing you right on that? Poor fit, but I think it goes deeper than that. Like, I mean, ultimately, like that's the thing, right? Like that's mm. that's the diagnosis, but the prescription is a bit more more in depth than that. I think, yes, ultimately it's fit, but why that happens, I think is the bigger conversation. So like, why is this happening? Why is this number shrinking? And especially if you're in enterprise sales as a sales leader, like the party is just getting started in year one, especially for like early stage startups. And if you're turning people out every year, how do you think that affects your team and your buyer journey and all the other bits and pieces. And especially when a new sales leader comes at especially the VP, SVP level, CRO level, you're setting the stage and the tone for the process, for the go-to-market strategy, for like so many of those things. And if it changes every year, what do you think that does to your buyer? And the last time I checked, if you don't have buyers, you don't have a business and they hold the keys. And so it's a bigger thing than that. So I think it's it like the better part of our conversation in my mind is, well, why? So if we know that it's a fit problem, why is it a fit problem? And then when I think about that, Jason Lemkin has said it best. Just for VPs, this isn't team leads, this isn't managers, this isn't directors, this isn't CROs, just for the VP of sales role. There are 48 different kinds of sales leaders out there. And the rest of his statement is you better make really, really sure, like your life depends on it, sure, that you hire the right one for your stage for the work that needs to be done. And that's like one of the biggest things that I see is, is that, right? The inability to understand that there are 48 different kinds. And it's just like, oh, we need a sales leader. And oh, that sales leader grew the business by 4X. And oh, you know, they had outbound on their resume. So cool. Mm-hmm. And then, from a big logo. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just literally kicked off a new client, as you know, because I was late for this doing that. And they were like, well, maybe an up and comer, like if it's a director out of a big company 
and they're craving the next thing, maybe we should think about that. And I said, maybe you shouldn't. And the reason why you shouldn't is that's the number one reason where startups at your stage, your pre-A round, if I came out of a Salesforce, let's say, no, 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 knock on Salesforce. Salesforce is like one of the original gangsters of SaaS. And unless you were there at that stage and you built it, what's happening now is a lot more maintenance. And yes, you can be brought in to grow something, to create something, but your Salesforce and all the internal aliases and enablement and empowerment and the ability to get things done or not, depending on the red tape, looks and feels different than when it's a 25 person startup and there's no real marketing team built out yet. What do you do? So, you know, those are, those are some of the things is that people, people don't necessarily think through all of that. So many people are like, I got money and now I need to hire. And I, and I just had this conversation with a founder this week. It's like, we got money and we want to double the size of our team in less than a quarter. And I just started laughing on the inside. I was like, okay. Uh, and we need to hire a VP of sales, but we've been looking for a VP of sales for almost a year. And I'm like, what's missing? And it's, it's literally like, well, I want somebody that can scale the business to a hundred million. And they're like at the 5 million mark. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I want to own Necker Island with Sir Richard Branson, but like, that's not going to happen. And so it's just right. fascinating to me, like this perception versus reality. And I mean, Doug Landis, who's at Emergence Capital, has written about this topic on more than one occasion. I, I'm totally here for it. There, within that, like 48 different kinds of sales leaders, there are different superpowers that sales leaders have. And it's very, very rare if at all possible that you're going to find something that does all of the things. Mm -hmm. And so, cause you know, I'll, I'll talk to them and it's like, well, we want this and we want, and it's like, those are all the things. Let's talk about the reality of where your business is, the work that needs to be done. So I think the big takeaway there for the root cause of why, which is what we were talking about in the first place, not to go too off on a tangent is I'm finding like this growth at all cost mindset and just like charge ahead without any sort of breath taken to pause and think intentionally about the reality of what we need, why we need it, what the work looks like and building out a hiring model and plan from that. If people, if more people did that, I feel like the ratio wouldn't be as significant as it is today for mishiring. Yeah. No, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, having been part of a couple, st uh, several startups and even big companies and having friends in the space, it, it seems to me that most organizations don't have any kind of real hiring process for any role yeah. and certainly don't have a thoughtful one for, for roles. I mean, when I, when I came out here to LA and took over or I guess started the STR department and I'm asking all my peer managers how do I, how do I interview? Well, what do you guys do? And like, I don't mean to like down anybody, but I would get lists of questions. Yeah. Like what's a good answer sound like or a bad answer? Like, how do I know what's good and what's not? And it was just, it was a lot of hiring by gut. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't, not only was I not there yet, 
skill-wise, but it wouldn't have been scalable. It wouldn't have been something that, you know, in my mind, I wanted reps to be able to interview and get the same results as a tenured sales leader doing the same interview. I yeah. wanted to build that. And so building something completely different, but, you know, and like most of the companies I've been at interview by, by gut. By gut so, okay. or by wrong assumption or by like bad advice or, I mean, there's so many just, I, I agree with you. It's like a shoot from the hip thing mm-hmm. when it's like one of the most important things you will ever do, whether it's sales or not, like who you choose to hire absolutely affects what happens next. Yeah. Good or bad. And there's a lot of bad hiring being done, which is obviously why I started my company, you know? So there's that. Right. Like big companies can eat that cost or, you know, usually they just, they don't find out for a long time, (laughs) but it's deadly at early stage companies. The first 10 salespeople, you hire the wrong person and, and you keep them on too long. Can, you know, best case, it kills your culture temporarily. Worst case, it can tank your revenue. Well, think about it when it's a sales leader, right? It's a mm-hmm. seven-figure problem because there are sales leaders that carry AEs then with them. And then if they go, those AEs want to go. So then you've yeah. got turnover both ways. But it's not just the turnover, like obvious cost of like, oh, the cost of what it was to have the person absorb salary and whatever extra comp. It's also the cost of doing business with that person. So if they set the right, or excuse me, if they set the wrong process in place, how much business did you lose from that? Uh, How much time did you waste spending valuable time that you can't get back on all the wrong customers? How did that affect your product team? Because if, I was as a sales leader saying we need this and they did that and it doesn't pack a punch for the market. You're out those things. Oh, by the way, if it gets contentious, then there are legal fees that you have to spend. Oh, and by the way, if you've given them equity, there's that piece if they vested it all. Oh, by the way, the expense of having them there, not just in their salary, but expense accounts. If we're talking about enterprise sales, if we're talking about, you know, all the costs of what it takes to have an employee benefits and such. Oh, and then by the way, I mean, like, it's like, my point to this is it's not so cut and dry of, oh, I I spent $225,000 on somebody's base salary and it didn't work out and I'm out that money. No, you're actually out. If you paid a recruiter a fee, that money, you're actually out whatever costs have been absorbed in terms of the time to find that person, then to get them up to speed, then they didn't work out. Now nobody's in seat, that costs you time and money. And then the time that it takes to refill that person. And there are certain companies I'm talking to that have mishired their sales leaders four times in the span of three years. Like, come on, it's a problem, like a big, big, big problem. Wow, yeah. All right. Well, so let's talk about this from the perspective of most of the people who are listening to us are, are the sales leader. Could you give them something to think about, you know, in this context, when should somebody consider a structural, meaning somebody who's a manager or director going to VP, right. At a different, you know, at a different company, 
when should somebody consider that? How do they know if it might be a good fit or if they're, I don't know, overplaying their hand or being too aggressive? I don't, I don't know the right way to phrase that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it takes a really big dose of self-awareness because as humans, we want to think that we can do it all and there's ego there. And so I think it's yeah. really getting right. And the one way that you can get really right with that, and you know what I'm going to say, scorecard. <laughs> so step yeah. one, scorecard. And if you're like, well, I don't really know. And I mean, it's okay. I've talked to plenty of people that are like, I'm not really sure what that looks like or what's important to me or what I actually really do. I'm a big fan of a journal and every day getting it down on paper about the things that turn you on, the things that turn you off, the things that you've accomplished and the things that you're excited about. And when you do that and you, you challenge yourself to not look at the previous day and you do that long enough and then you go back with a highlighter and you look for themes, it's amazing what happens when you pay attention to yourself. It's like, it's truly amazing. And then you bake that into a scorecard and that's great. But to your question about like a stretch, so those things start like kind of creating the foundation to work from, to know. I think any stretch roll, if you have never been there or done that, there's going to be stuff that you don't know and you won't know. And especially if it's a startup, nobody's gonna know. And so I think you have to get real right with, with, with that of what is your ability and desire and wherewithal to get uncomfortable, to not have the answers and to get the right answers. And then I think it's then about having a very frank discussion with the potential team that you're thinking about, let's be honest, this is a stretch roll. What happens in the situation where I don't have the answers, you don't have the answers, and I'm figuring it out, and I'm bringing a plan that maybe you feel good about or you don't feel good about? How do we work through that? People don't have the tough conversations. And, and really paying attention to somebody's body language, the tonality in their voice, how the tone of their voice goes up or down depending on how you're thinking about things, tells you so much. That's an incredible defining moment to figure out like, whoa, wait, they haven't even thought about this. And am I setting myself up for a little bit of disaster? So I think if you think about like real use cases of what would the downside be to the stretch roll? And I wanna talk to them about that because so many times it's like, oh, you're the sales leader, you figure it out. Or some people are like, I'm not a salesperson. I don't know how to do this and I need somebody that knows that. If that's what you're hearing, if somebody's like, yeah, so I really need somebody that's seen this before and can do it, but I want to save a few bucks on a stretch hire, you will not have, the chances are, not all the time, but the chances are you won't have the internal support that you need or guidance that you need. I mean, literally, I'm, I'm on a mishire right now, and that was the problem. It was a stretch hire. It didn't work. And the reason why it didn't work was the person was really good with one thing but the one thing that they were really good at isn't what they needed. And so lovely gem, fantastic person, amazing cultural fit, really, really good with one thing, but they needed something else. And that was the disconnect. And the person couldn't stretch. They hadn't been there. They hadn't seen that. And the people that they were reporting to hadn't been there, hadn't seen that. And so then you've got this friction being created of always going to the leader and being like, 
I need your help. I don't know what I'm doing. And then that leader losing all confidence in you. These are real things that happen. So I think when is it the right time when you know that you have the right things that you need either for self, by self, to self, or within an organization to stretch. And where I really like a stretch is there is an established sales leader, like a CRO. It's not going to be early, early stage company. Your chances for success in a stretch role at an early, early stage company. And that's where it's the biggest opportunity because people want to save some bucks and that's a great way to do it. Your ability to be successful there dramatically decreases, in my opinion, from what I've seen of all the mishires that happen. Because you don't have support to, to learn the thing. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know. You've got a lot of blind spots. And it takes, it's a very unique individual that can do that. I'm always amazed by our mutual friend, Justin Walsh, that went from ZocDoc mm -hmm. to Patient Pop and hadn't been there before. And he rose to the occasion. But you know why he rose to the occasion? Justin, and tell me if you agree or disagree, he is relentless in terms of being a student. He has a student yeah. mindset. He wants to know. He's curious. He wants to dig way layers deep. So no, no surprise, of course, you know, but not yeah. everybody is like Justin. The majority well, in like Justin. And Justin also works like, basically 24 seven, he, he enjoys it. And so if you're looking for a job, you're going to work 60 hours a week, you probably don't want to stretch job with no support. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? totally. But like where stretch can really work well is if it's a bigger company, perhaps. And I'm not talking about like, it doesn't even have to be a fortune 500 huge company. I'm talking about like maybe a, a C round company and there is a CRO there and that person has been through this on more than one occasion. This isn't their first rodeo as a CRO. And they really get a charge out of being a leader of leaders and bringing people in and helping them be their best version. So you go from a director perhaps to a VP. They're going to help get you there. They've been there. They've done that. They've got all sorts of wisdom and insight to help you be your best version. You can take that parlay that then take it away somewhere else. But that's where I see like the stretch really work out where the odds are much more in your favor. Cool. What, all right. So you talked a lot about, so now we're in the interview process. What mistakes do leaders make in that process? What questions should they ask or things should they uncover? That's always a really- I can tell you're, you're ready to answer this one. <laughs> no, I mean, it's an interesting question because it's like, what questions should you ask? It's your career. What do you want to know? Like, yeah. what's important to you? I mean, I think like table stakes, do you really have a seat at the table? And asking somebody, do I really have a seat at the table? Doesn't tell you anything. You've got to look for the tells. And so- you know, how are you able to collaborate through the interview process? Or are you just going through someone's crappy interview process and going through the motions and the steps and you come out of that not really even being able to say definitively, I feel really comfortable about that because we were able to collaborate. So I think it's, I, I think you have to not take a backseat approach to something that's so important. And that is a big problem where people are like, I'm just gonna go through the interview motion and I just wanna collect as many offers as I can and then I'll make a decision and it's like, but you missed so much information and that's where that scorecard is helpful. So when it comes to 
the questions you should ask when you've done the work on yourself and you know what's important to you and you've got all these different things that you're going to score those are the things to pay attention to to dig deeper in so if i really care let's say about being able to hire my own team and i want to make sure that i have the latitude if i step into an existing team to be able to make sometimes tough changes. This is a really big scenario that's real. I mean, you're, you're nodding, you've been there, you've done that. You're a leader, you step in and, you know, sometimes when it's not the people that you would hire, you're not simpatico or you immediately see like, oh, that person's at major risk. And because those people perhaps were hired directly by a founder or a co-founder, there's a major emotional attachment there. And now you're fighting the wrong fight and you didn't realize that in the interview process and that really ticks you off because now you feel like you have no voice, you're not empowered, you're just a paper pusher. Let's backtrack. That's when you didn't have the conversation. How that conversation could go is to say, you've got a team right now. So instead of being like, do I have a seat at the table? Of course, I'm going to tell you yes, because I want to hire you. But when you dig deep to say you've got an existing team of five people that I would step into and I've noticed you've said a couple times with this one particular person, they're really resistant to coaching and they're still not at the number that they need to be at and they've been here for a year. In my mind, I'm going to want to spend time with them to understand. And if I find that they're at the point of no return and they can't be salvaged, I'm going to make the recommendation to remove them. And I'm going to want to do that in a short amount of time because your goals are X, Y, and Z. And to get there, we need the right people doing the right work. So if we get rid of them, then I've got to hire somebody. And yes, I have people that'll follow me, but maybe they're good. Maybe they're not good. Let's bake that into the expectation. See how I'm talking about it. And I'm, I'm stopping and I'm, I want to gut check through the way. Like, how do you feel about that? What do you think? Have you thought about that? You and that person have been here together since the jump. That's going to cause some friction. Here's some ideas that I have to make that easier because I've been here, done it before. How does that feel to you? Watch their body language. Watch like all of that. And those are big conversations. And, you know, when I go to the Google, which we all have, and it's like top interview questions, enough. Enough. <laughs> enough. I want to point out here, you know, I'm noticing and I, I expect you to do this just because I know you, but your questions are very open-ended because when you're asking questions with this amount of gravity, this weightiness to them, if it's yes, no, you're going to get the answer that you want to hear just far too frequently. Not, can I fire people that I, that shouldn't be on the team? It's, I'm going to want to you know, I'm going to want to terminate this person. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so that's thing, asking it the way that you did is, is absolutely a completely different question than the yes, no question. I hate yes, no. Yes, no doesn't tell me anything. It tells me yes or no. <laughs> like that's, and, and, you know, yes or no in that context may not necessarily be the true answer. So I want to get as close to the reality of the situation as possible. It's like, you know, I caught major flack on LinkedIn recently because I said, I hate the question. Does this make sense? <laughs> yeah. It's a yes, no question. Like, does it, does this make sense? Sure. Even if it doesn't, maybe I don't have the confidence to say, no, it doesn't. 
and let's talk about that. Instead, it's, well, what do you think about that? How might that affect you? Is that helpful? How do you feel? You know, like those are, those are such different ways to get people. And is that helpful as a yes or no? But, you know, talking about how do you feel about something? How might this impact you? How do you think that's going to impact the team? And if you notice, like I situationally led into the question, like these are the things. And I, I also married in the fact that I'm watching what you're sharing with me in the interview process. Cause I take it seriously. I want to understand. And so these are the things that I've picked up thus far. And this is what we need to talk about because this could be a very big reality that we face together. Have you thought about that yet? They say yes or no. If they say yes, okay, so that's a yes or no, yes. And how did you think about that? How does that make you feel? What are you prepared to do? How are you feeling about this leader and that coming right out of the gates is a tough thing to go through? How do you right. think that might affect the rest of the team? Is there collateral damage that we've got to discuss or think about in terms of the buyer journey, in terms of the product team, in terms of CS, in terms of marketing? Because if there's a lot of alignment there and then I come in, is that going to be a friction point? And how can we work together to get through that? Because we're going to need to have each other's back on that. So how does that look cross-functionally? See how that's like, none of that's like, do you celebrate cross-functional collaboration here? <laughs> you know, such a big difference. Right. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. I can cross-functional collaborate. Like, no, you can't. Maybe, maybe not. Like, I just feel like we make such big bets based off of such little amounts of information. It's really like it's fast. And let's go back to the root cause. Yeah. Directly correlated. But you know yeah. me, I'm going to come in hot with all the things. So, and it's, it's to be helpful to anybody that's listening to this truly. Like, I know it's a lot. I know it's a pain in the neck. I know it's like, Oh, I have to think about this and I've got a team and I've got a life and I've got a pandemic and I've got all this. But if you're not willing, like maybe this is a good place to kind of leave this because we've covered a lot, I feel like, but I'll leave everybody with this idea. If you're not willing to put in the work to understand truly, and you're just doing some window shopping and you make a life decision off of what it looks like in the window and you haven't stepped into the store to try it on to see how it feels. Is the fabric cheap, but it looked really expensive in the window. And you know, like all those things and you just buy it sight unseen, you might be in the return pile. Right. You can't get that on Amazon prime. So you got to deal with the yes. info return. <laughs> cool. Everyone, I'm, I'm going to link to the Jason Lumpkin article and to Amy's scorecard in the show notes. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, we talk about this all the time. So this is just like regular conversation of us <laughs> recorded. So I really, really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people learn more about you? So in a couple of different places. So one, I like to live out loud. And I like to talk about these things because I care deeply about the community. And these are topics that are very near and dear to my heart. LinkedIn, avenue talentpartners.com. 
And in addition to that, where people can find me every week, where we talk about all sorts of things, and this included, is a little thing called ThursdayNightSales.com. Yeah, so that's Thursday Night Sales is super fun. How, how, many, how many people um, came last night? 186. 186, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's kind of crazy because if people are like, oh, well, I can't join right at eight o'clock Eastern because that's like dinner time if I'm on, you know, like central time or mountain time or whatever it might be. You should know <laughs> last night is a great example. Started at eight and I begged off at midnight. So like, yeah. you don't have to be there right at the start. You don't have to stay there the whole time. You can come in when you want to come in and the questions that are asked every week is different, inspire what we talk about. And it's straight up real unfiltered safe place. We don't record it. We don't share it for that reason. We want to make sure people can truly come together to get better together and have a real authentic voice. Cool. Really excellent show. I recommend that you guys follow Amy on LinkedIn, drop by Thursday night sales. Uh, I'm a big fan. Thank you. Amy, thank Thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. I mean, you're stuck with me. You're my friend, but I really appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I hope this was helpful. Seriously, for anybody yeah. listening, I, I hope that this gave you some kernel of thinking about something different that can help you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll probably like the Next Level Private Mastermind. It's a small group of newish sales leaders who are helping each other grow faster and become better. Each week, we cover a specific topic and troubleshoot actual issues new leaders run into. The link is in the show notes or go to DerekJankowski.com slash mastermind. Thanks.